We are in a sermon series here called Toxic. Toxic, and we're identifying that heart of sin within our lives. Uh, those things that get a grip on our soul that distract us from seeing God for who he is and all that he has for us. And um, I'm telling you, man, it can eat you up and you don't even know it's getting to you. Now, last week we started, we looked at that first section of the heart with fear. And now we're moving over to the next section of a heart of sin, this heart of despair. And uh, both of them, last week and this week, just dealing with the brokenness in this world and how do we process it. And uh, the sermon titled today, Overcoming Despair, a Heart of Hope. So turn with me, if you will, to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 1. We got ushers coming forward. They got Bibles in their hands. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get a Bible to you, all right? We're going to kind of walk through this section, 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 1. If you need a Bible, just keep your hand raised. They'll get one to you there. And uh, in your booklets, let's turn there. We're going to get the sermon series going. I think it's page 34. And uh, make sure you've got that going and keep some notes in there. And uh, we want to make sure these books are things that you can put on the shelf and have for a long period of time to be digging back into and learning and even relearning on, okay? So here we go. First point. Um, this is going to be structured much like last week. The poison. The poison. Unbelief that leads to doubt over whether God really cares about you. This is a poison that leads to despair. Unbelief. Remember we talked about both pride and unbelief at the center of our heart. And an unbelief that leads to doubt over whether God really cares about you. And uh, that's the poison that we drink at times. And uh, it can be devastating. We're going to look at a story today. And... Uh, it's about a guy named Elijah. Last week we looked at Elisha, right? He was the guy who followed after Elijah. So now we're backing up in time to Elijah. This guy came before Elisha. His name is Elijah. Say it with me. Elijah, okay? And uh, Elijah, his name means my God is Yahweh. And uh, trusting in the king, that's his job. He was a prophet for Israel, He was this awesome man of God who knew the Lord, who led people to the Lord, who uh, led much of what was going on in the nation of Israel. And let me tell you, they needed him because the king at that time was Ahab. And uh, First Kings says, the most evil of kings up till that time. This guy's in charge of the nation of Israel. He's not leading his people towards God Almighty. He's leading them away from He's leading them into idolatry and into evil of all sorts and into selfishness and Ahab. He is one bad dude. And uh, on the other side of it is Elijah the prophet. There was one point, I'm just going to skip a lot of storyline there, where God is taking care of Elijah and he's having him stand up against Ahab and other things going on. But there is a point that comes up that is referred to right here in verse 1. It says, Ahab told Jezebel... All that Elijah had done. Ahab, that's the king of Israel. Everybody just say, that's the king. Okay, you're locking in with me. Ahab told Jezebel, that's his evil wife, all right, all that Elijah the prophet had done. So he went through this summary of all that, that Elijah had done in the past, but the biggest piece that he was talking about, very specifically, Ahab finally, at the end of three years of time, had had enough of some of what was going on. The drought was coming to an end, and God said, get up and go confront Ahab. So Elijah goes to Ahab to have a talk with him, and he basically says this, dude, it's going to be bad for you. 
And I just want you to know that God's got some things in store. In fact, he rallied all the people together and he had a challenge for them. And I love this quote, chapter 18, verse 21. He says, how long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Now that's a prophet statement. How long will you go on limping between two different opinions, the wavering back and forth and and uh, if the Lord is God, follow him. In fact, now I'm going to put a challenge out for all you guys who are doing this Baal worship thing. Why don't you rally together, set up an altar, put a bull on it. I'll set up my altar and put a bull on it. You call out to your God and ask Baal to light that altar on fire. I'll call out to my God, Yahweh, and ask him to light a fire. What do you think of that? And the people were like, Awesome. Let's do this thing. We'll call out to Baal. And so they set up their altars and they get set. And he goes, you first. Right? And uh, so I guess they won the coin toss. Right? So they get to go first. They call out to Baal. And they're calling out for hours on end. It says it started at 8 a.m. Went till about noon. Crying out for like four straight hours. Please bring yourself. Reveal yourself. This is the God they've been celebrating and worshiping. And... uh, But that God did not answer. And uh, that God did not come. In fact, at noon, Elijah, I can only picture him just kind of leaning against a wall somewhere. He gets kind of smart-alecky in his godliness moment. He's like, hey, maybe you need to cry a little louder. Maybe your God can't hear you. Maybe he's busy doing other things. Maybe he's sleeping or something. Do you need a little help crying out to him? Maybe you need to get, just get louder together with it. And you can only imagine what that did. So that turned these guys into more animated worship as they start getting pumped. They start crying out for him. They begin to worship him the way they had been worshiping. They were cutting themselves and doing other things. Hey, just so you know, uh, our culture isn't the first culture to go after cutting. And uh, cutting, it's been around since 1 Kings 19 for sure and maybe before that. And there is a lot of evil and dark in it. And as the satanic force is saying, man, let's hurt humanity in any way we can. And, uh, and be careful. And, uh, some of you in here may even be struggling with cutting. Watch out, man. There's a lot of dark invested into that. And uh, step away. Your God's got an awesome plan and he loves you. Little side moment, okay? And so they're stepping up and they're doing things. They're crying out to him. They're sacrificing in any way. They're even cutting themselves. It goes on for five more hours. And nothing, nothing happens. So Elijah steps up to his altar. And he goes, all right. Bring me water. They bring over some water and they just pour it on the altar. Bring it again. And they pour it on again. Bring it again. They pour it on again. Water is pouring off. Everything is saturated, soaking wet. It's filled into the moat around it. Like everybody knows water stops fire, right? And he's like, all right, clear enough. We have a difficult moment. Yes? Then Elijah steps up, and this is his call. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known you are God. And thundering forth, lightning comes bolting down. Fire from the sky hits the altar. Everything ignites into flame. In fact, I love the phrase. It says, the heat of the fire licked up the water. Like whoosh. 
Amen, man. God, God in charge, God in power, and just thundering forth this power lighting it up, the fire lighting it up, and the altar set, and at that point, the people fell on their face, and they cried out, truly, Yahweh, he is God, and they began to worship as the people turned. Then Elisha turned towards the Baal prophets who were leading the people and said, grab all 450 of them. It's time to kill them. From God, man. Time to get rid of these guys who were leading people away from Yahweh. 450 Baal prophets killed that day at the hand of Elijah. And uh, all right, that's where we are starting in verse 1 now. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Pretty much what I just did for you. That's what Ahab was doing with Jezebel, making it clear. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Hey, you know those 450 dead prophets of mine that you just killed? Yeah, that's you in the next 24 hours, Elijah. He just got a death threat. Like he just stood up for God, he just went after this huge thing and stood in front of everybody and, and uh, God revealed himself in the fire and the power and now Elijah gets a death threat from the queen. And uh, so his response would be, right? Wouldn't you think his response would kind of be, ooh, I'm shaken. Hey, just so you know, I serve the God of the universe and he delivers up what he needs to deliver when he needs to deliver it. And Elijah's response then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. He tells us in verse 4 that he goes on from there. We'll look at that next a little bit. What's the deal, man? He just met the God of fire and the God of power, the God of rule. He just saw that God is in charge of everything and can deliver and show himself. But here's what he's questioning. But does he really care about me? Personally, I mean, with the circumstances I'm in and what just got delivered up, does God really care about me? Man, this shouldn't be. We just showed everyone who God is. This shouldn't be. And, uh, all right, doubt. I don't know if there's a better definition of doubt than literally the quote I read off earlier. Limping around between two opinions. Doubt. You might want to write that down. Doubt. It's when I limp around between two different opinions. I'm going back and forth. Doubt. It's not just pure. It's not just raw unbelief. Doubt. It's when I go back and forth. I'm wavering. Right? And uh, It's like a hitchhiker with one thumb going that way and the other thumb going that way. Like, hey, I'm trying to figure out which way I should go and I don't know what I want to do. And doubt. It's wavering back and forth. It's limping around between two different opinions. Where does doubt come from? The source of doubt. It's when our expectations are dashed. See, we think we understand who God is, and we think we understand where he's headed. And so now we begin to get in line. We're like, oh, I see what he's doing. I know what God's doing. And here's what he's going to do next. He's going to show the fire. He's going to reveal himself. Everybody's going to bow down and worship. Then the whole nation's going to turn towards God. It's going to be awesome. And then I'm going to be the prophet out ahead, and we're going to lead everyone towards him. There's going to be great worship. Man, is it going to be cool. And, uh, and so the fire comes, and the people worship, and everything's great. 
And then the queen over Israel turns against him and threatens to kill him. And everything turns sideways. His expectations are dashed. And uh, how often do we think we get what God's doing in this world? And so we begin to expect. And in the middle of the dashed expectations, we start really losing it. God may have just revealed himself in the minutes prior. But now, I don't get what he's doing anymore. And it may be the expectations were positive. Like, I expect him to do this. And then he doesn't. Or maybe they're the negative. He, he wouldn't allow that to happen, but, but then he does. And our expectations get dashed and it causes doubt. We begin to waver and wobble and it's the poison that begins to affect our soul. Question, are you wavering? Are you seeing God move in your days or weeks prior, but... Now you've got some doubts cropping up. The circumstances are getting tough and it's getting easy to forget what God's done just prior in your life. Are you wavering? Is doubt beginning to creep in? Hang on. We've got a solution. All right? Point number two. The symptom. So if we take that poison in, the symptom... Wallowing in self-pity, paralyzed by a sense of hopelessness. Wallow in self-pity, paralyzed by a sense of hopelessness. We know we've drunk the poison of doubt when we begin to dive into self-pity. You know what that is, right? Like, woe is me. My life is horrible. I need to review for everyone why my life is horrible. Right, self-pity. And uh, hopelessness, absolutely no hope. Look at verse 4. But he, Elijah himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. Now you have to understand the story of Elijah. There were years he spent in the wilderness with God Almighty. He's kind of returning back to where he's come from. That's one part of it. Uh, He's going back to the wilderness to spend some time with God, but it's more than that. He's getting away from all the people that are turning sideways against him. He's running in fear. He's gone out into the wilderness. Just picture the most um, arid, dry, desert look. You're beginning to get a wilderness look in your eye, okay? In the midst of it, in the midst of going out to the desert, it says he went and sat down under a broom tree. And uh, so let's just do this. Let's throw a picture up. This is a picture of a broom tree in the middle of a desert. Okay? Do you see how arid and nasty You're walking on the rocks, it's totally uneven and harsh, your ankles are hurting, your mouth is parched, there's no water anywhere, and then you find one of these little trees with the green and it's sprouting up out of nowhere, and so you sit up underneath it, you nestle up there, and always trying to get a little bit of feeling better moment. I don't know if there's a better picture for pity than this. See, nothing changes the circumstances. The desert's still the desert. It still looks as hopeless and dry as ever. And I'm trying to sit in the middle of it and feel good about it. That's what's going on. And so he sits under the broom tree as he begins to review the unfairnesses and the ridiculousness. And it shouldn't have gone this way. And and, uh, that's a great image of self-pity. As he's now sitting under the broom tree in the desert... Uh, run away from the situation at hand and fearful that God doesn't have it in hand, okay? 
Let's just do this. He has a quote right after it. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Do you see how fast things changed for him? He was a prophet declaring greatness of God. And now he's like, ah, forget it. Just, I'm done. I'm done. And he sits down under the broom tree and says, I'm no better than my father's. And hear me on this, right? None of us is really in a better stead than anybody else, right? All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Fair? All, everybody say, all have. We're all in that spot. And I'm no better than my father's. Well, that's partially true. And maybe he was actually putting a little bit of hope in the fact that he's better than everybody else. And, and that'll be the end of you too, right? That expectation will hurt you. And uh, I'm no better than the rest of my fathers included. And maybe I should just be punished as well. Take my life, Lord. Despair truly does look at life and see it as hopeless. And really sees the next step that's appropriate as the end of life here. Elijah, he's gone from doubt all the way to despair on this journey out into the desert as he sees himself now alone and uh, takes his life away as his request. I just wrote this, true despair takes the fight out of the soul. It takes the hope out of your future. True despair, it'll take the fight out of your soul. It'll take the hope out of the future. He's looking at that moment and saying, I have no fight. I have no hope. He's in the midst of despair. And uh, four ingredients to self-pity. Four ingredients that get us to self-pity, all right? This is how we get there, right? You want to know, oh, man, that's a wonderful cake you made for me. How did you make it? Here's the ingredients, right? This is self-pity. How do I make it? Uh, number one. Lack of admission of own sin. It's a lack of admission of your own sin. The number one rule in self-pity is, I am innocent. This is unfair. Right? Everybody just say unfair. That's the start of self-pity. I did nothing. This is not right. I do not have sin that needs to be accounted for here. Right? That's the number one, is lack of your admission of your own sin. Number two. A lack of confidence in yourself. Sitting in the midst of this circumstance or struggle, man, I don't know if I can handle this. This is a lot. And a lack of confidence of self. That can actually be fairly healthy depending on the circumstance. You might be right, but we don't see ourselves as having it together in the midst of the circumstance. A lack of confidence in self. So a lack of mission, admission of our own sin, a lack of confidence in self. Number three, a lack of confidence in God's love. I'm not sure he cares for me. See, we've started to let it sit with us long enough that now we're starting to talk ourselves into it. Why would he let this happen to me? How could a loving God... Right? How many times have we heard that phrase? If he really cared, he wouldn't... And, and, and all of a sudden, we're beginning to teach ourselves and show ourselves that we must be right. And a lack of our own sin being admitted, a lack of confidence in self, a lack of confidence in God's love, and then number four, a lack of confidence in God's promises. Yeah, he may have said it, but I don't know, man. 
He may have said he'd be there. He may have promised he'd do it in some way, but I, I don't know. I'm not sure that we can really count on that. And uh, I think I'm alone on this. And four ingredients to self-pity. And uh, you can't get to self-pity without walking down all four of these. Have you ever met somebody who's in pity? And you're like, they're like, I am horrible. This is ridiculous, the problem I'm in. And you're like, hey, have you sinned in this? Oh, yeah, I'm completely to blame. Those two don't go together, right? When they're like, I'm completely to blame. They're not like, oh, it's hopeless. What should I do? Woe is me. God doesn't love me. They're like, what was I thinking? I need to get this clean, right? When you admit your own sin, it's the beginning of a process of healing. When you don't, and you steep yourself in something else called self-pity. And, uh, symptoms, they're horrific, man. Do me a favor, turn to page 40 in your book. Page 40. Diagnostic tools here, and there's some questions you can go after. I'm not going to walk through those here. You can do those in your impact group or on your own time just walking through those questions at the top. But look at the fruit-to-root diagram. Again, the tree here, right? So fruit, that's what shows itself on the top of the tree. And then there's the trunk, and then there's the root underneath. And our job is to get down to the root and fixing it, and the fruit will be changed, okay? And so the fruit of despair, check this out, hiding, escaping. What did Elijah do? Run off go into the desert, right? And uh, are you wrestling with that? Do you try to hide or escape? Maybe it's even in a social setting where you just try to lay low, get out of the party fast, get away from the people, don't answer the phone, right? Whatever it might be, just a basic hiding or escaping, complaining or grumbling. Did you know this is the only one of the four that actually has complaining and grumbling in its fruit? Did you know that? The person in despair is the one that most typically grumbles and complains. Why? Because they're having a self-pity party and they're calling you to it. They're an expert of what their problem is and they're like, you wouldn't believe what they did to me. Do you know what they said? Do you know what's going on? Do you know what God himself did? And you should come and stand next to me in this and take a look at the grumbling and the complaining. It's an invite for you to come have pity on them. Trust me, they don't want you to fix it, right? We don't want the fix when we're in grumbling and complaining mode, right? How many times have you been in the middle of complaining and they're like, you know what you should do? And you're like, yeah, I should probably hit you, right? I don't want to fix. I'm telling you what's wrong with it, man. You should just listen to me, right? How often we use that phrase, and there's nothing wrong with loving somebody by listening to them, but be careful if all you do is listen, you're beginning to be an expert on having pity on them. They want the stroke of, wow, you're right, that's horrible, that's hopeless, that's harsh, how unfair. And uh, they're looking to invite you to the pity party. And they don't want you bringing anything else to the game. Uh, Lonely, self-conscious and shy, getting recluse, pulling away. That's good symptoms of despair and intact, all right? Uh, The trunk, defeating and doubting thoughts. God doesn't care for me. Others don't care for me. I'm all alone. I'm all alone in this. And uh, the self-pity moment, uh, I'm unworthy. Things have gone poorly and I'm beginning to dislike myself. Uh, Maybe it'd be better if I was just gone. And uh, man, if you're tasting some of these symptoms right now, 
Please take a deep breath. We're going to be looking at a fix in just a moment, all right? We've got a prescription, and we love you, and your God loves you, and he's with you, and he cares about you. There is hope. Everybody just say there is hope. There is hope. Hang on. That the source of it, comfort and affirmation and escape, comfort and affirmation and escape, those are what you're going after. That is the symptoms of despair. And um, just so you know, this is probably where I wrestle the most. I'm just going to get real with you. Let's talk it out. Each of us needs to be finding where we're at. And uh, it's easy for me to get into spots where I think I know where God's headed and I think I understand and then I get a wrong expectation and I might drift off the wrong way. Grumbling and complaining is easy to get to from that moment. And uh, that's where I need to be putting my time in. Man, as you're walking through these four or five weeks with us here, spend your time. Where are you needing to go after it? And what needs to be gone after in your life to hand over to him? Um, a few quotes about pity and despair. Pity. Pity addresses the feelings, not the problems. Pity addresses the feelings, not the problems. Right? Man, I'm so sorry you're in that. And there's nothing wrong with having that merciful conversation where you're, you really are sorry they're going through it. But be careful. Don't just address the feelings. God may have a plan. And we don't leave God as being unsovereign and heartless who did this to you. Right? That's the mistake of it. Pity very carefully uh, ignores the problem and only addresses the feelings. Pity, here's another one. Pity affirms the unfairness and hopelessness of the situation. The unfairness and the hopelessness of the situation. That's pity. When we're sitting with them and you're right, you're like, wow, you're right. Your life is horrible. And uh, I'm so sorry you're in that. And those seem like the only words we can bring. Just so you know, we're going to have some statements of what can happen and what can be brought in the next set, in the prescription part here. Uh, despair. Here's a quote about despair. Despair desires pity, not healing. Despair desires pity, not healing. And uh, for those of you who are counseling someone or you have a family member wrestling with depression or despair, please hear me. Their heart will desire for you to hear the feelings and not work on the problem. Okay? Despair desires the pity, not the healing. Uh, death, not victory. That's despair. I would rather just pass away. This is a heavy topic, isn't it? Let's be honest. And uh, all of us can run into this at moments, and some of us in this room are devastated by it even right now. And, uh, despair. If you're in that moment where you're longing for someone to just say, you're right, it's horrible, uh, please hang on. There's way more than that to be had. Despair. Last one. Despair seeks to vindicate self and villainize all others, especially God. Seeks to vindicate self and villainize all others. Despair. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, this is going to be a very hard person to sit down with in counsel. Because in the end, they want you to hear how bad it is, and they don't want you to give them a fix, and they really, really don't want to get healing. This thing is hopeless. They believe it with all they've got. Okay? Despair seeks to vindicate self and villainize all others. Simple question. 
Are you seeking to villainize all others? Are you grumbling and complaining about a circumstance you're in? About a struggle you have going on? About a heartache you're having? Does pity sound a lot better? Please just sit and listen to my heartache. Don't tell me anything else. And those are the beginnings of despair. Let's be very careful with it. Now hear me. We're, again, we said last week with fear as well, there are, can be a couple causes of despair. Despair, it starts here with our heart, right, as we head off in bogus expectations and we begin to believe God doesn't care. There can be some chemical imbalances that can cause it at times. And we have to be very careful with it. We're not talking about that here. Everybody say, we're not talking about that here. Okay, and so if you are having some kind of chemical struggles, chemical imbalances that need to be addressed, please make sure you have medical attention in it. A good way to know is you first start going after the heart, the way we're going to talk about in the rest of the sermon here. And if God begins to heal, awesome. And if things need to be continued looked at, then you may need to get some medical looking at things, all right? And it really is getting some stuff balanced first, great. Maybe from that position of balance, you can now start to get some victory and the medicines may be able to be reduced. Do not reduce your own meds. Said this last week too, right? Make sure the doctor is the one that's managing it with you. I'm telling you, you will be amazed if you're outside of this. And if you're the one in it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't need it anymore. I'm feeling better. And then you set them down. And all of a sudden, your body starts shifting into a chemical imbalance again. You can't do it. Do not diagnose yourself. Do it with medical, clinical assist on the way out and on the way in. Okay? And uh, that's how we would handle the meds. But here we're talking about the heart. A heart that's been train wrecked by expectations off in the wrong spot. A heart that's completely unclear as to what God's doing. A heart that would prefer pity over anything else. Despair. You know if you're there. You feel it even right now. So hang with me. Number three. Here we go. Number three. The prescription. God does not leave us without hope. The prescription. Encounter your caring and providing God. Find hope in him as you see him, listen to him, and follow him. We serve a God who brings hope. And all of God's people said, the prescription, man. We have a God who brings hope. Here we go, starting in verse 5. And Elijah lay down and slept under a broom tree. If you are wrestling with despair, sometimes one of the greatest things you can do is get some sleep. It is a great recipe for some healing. All right? And uh, he lay down under a broom tree to sleep. And behold, what does that mean? Check it out. And behold, what does it mean? Check it out. You're going to see the word behold all over the Old Testament. Get used to it. Now when you're reading through and you see the word behold, always go, check it out. Okay? It's God telling you this is something you want to watch. And, uh, and check it out. He says, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Uh, that's kind of a cool moment. In the middle of his despair, an angel visiting him right there and saying, arise and eat. And he looked and behold. Thank you. We have three that are awake in here. <laughs> and behold. Yeah. There we go. There was a, at his head a cake 
baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Did you know angels could cook? I don't know. Just noticing what's there. And he ate and drank and lay down again. Oftentimes the best fix for despair is getting some energy back in us through sleep and through getting some food. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. He knows what's ahead for Elijah. While Elijah doesn't, the angel does. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food. God taking care of him. And uh, God knowing what's needed and what's required. Now notice, it says he went in the strength of that food. How far? Forty days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. 40 days and 40. Where have we heard the number 40 before? Right? And so you've got the 40 years in the wilderness with Israel. 40 years they wandered in this exact same desert that he's wandering in. And he's headed for Mount Horeb. That is, just so you know, another name for Mount Sinai. They're heading for Mount Sinai, the same place where Moses met with God and got the Ten Commandments. And God showed his glory to Moses in huge display. He's taking Elijah to that place, okay? 40 days in the wilderness. This is a moment of growing him, of shaping him, of teaching him. God is pouring into him. He gave him the strength, and now he's giving him experience with him. And now watch what happens. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, check it out. The word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Is Elijah still struggling with despair? Yes. Right? He's like, I am awesome, and they are not, and what are you doing, and that's why I'm here, right? And that's it, a massive struggle with, I won't see my own fault in any of this, and I certainly see all the other players in it at fault, and I, even I, only am left, despair. One of the most horrible whispers of despair is, you are in this alone. That is a whisper from the pit of hell. That is a lie. You are not in this alone. Your God is there with you. And he loves you. God said to him, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Okay, I don't know what Elijah was thinking right here, but I know what I'd be thinking. Uh-oh. Now what? Right, this is the, I need you to come here. Right, that kind of moment. And, uh, so he's coming forward, and, and uh, it says, And behold, thank you, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke them in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. Okay, he just took a person in despair and brought a giant tornado-like wind past and destroyed the rocks. They're flying everywhere. What does a person in despair say? Yeah. Oh, Great. Now what? Another problem, right? And uh, just keeping it real, it doesn't say that here, but let's just be aware that he's most likely seeing 
the problem of it all as God is revealing his greatness in it all. Do you see the wind I'm in charge of? This is who I am. As he shows the greatness of himself and, and uh, the Lord showed the strong wind. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. How many of you have actually been in an earthquake? Okay, got a couple of us in here, a handful. And uh, that's not a fun moment, man. And the earth begins to tremble and the edge of the cave he's standing at and all of it. And you're looking around and you probably start to grab a... Right? Earthquake now comes. And uh, this is a bad weather day. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. Remember, the Lord sent down the fire to burn the entire altar. He's seen the God of fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. In the original language, the sound of thin silence. I love that. Thin silence. Almost perfectly quiet. Yesterday, my daughter and I went uh, bow hunting. I had the bow. She was sitting next to me. And uh, we were up in a tree stand and it, was, it ended up like 70 degrees out there. It was gorgeous. Deer don't move in 70 degrees, just so you know. So it was a horrible deer hunt. But I'm sitting there with my daughter in 70 degrees, and the wind died down to perfectly silent so that little one-pound squirrels sound like elephants. Do you know what I'm saying? Like 50, 100 yards away, you hear, and you're like, it's coming, and it's big, baby. This thing's got to be like 5,000 pounds. I hear it coming, right? Thin silence. That's what was going on here. So quiet that a squirrel would sound like an elephant. Thin silence as he heard the low whisper of God who now says to him again, right? After the earthquake, after the fire, he says, Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in the cloak went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Now, just so you know, Moses, when he stood in the glory of God, he ended up covering his face, and that's a lot of what's going on here. There's a lot of mirrored imagery to what Moses experienced as well. So he's now covered his face like, if I'm going to go into the presence of the glory of God, I better be covered up. That's what he's doing, okay? And behold, we really lost that pickup, and behold, there we go, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Exact same question. Like, I have now revealed my power and my authority to you. I have now shown some levels of my glory to you. And I spoke to you in a whisper of tenderness. I love you. What are you doing here? And his answer, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets of the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Does that sound familiar? It's the exact same quote. Man, when we're in despair, we practice our whine. Do you know what we're talking about? You say it over and 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 over. Can you imagine his trip in the wilderness as he walked? 
I am jealous for the Lord. What's up with that? It's so unfair. I and even I only. Like he's got all his little moments. And so he puts his phrases together for God twice over. Standing in the presence of God and still only seeing his problem, not his problem solver. And, uh, and the Lord said to him, you're a moron. That's not what he says, right? That's not how God talks to us. He loves us. And he sees where our heart is in it. And in the midst of where he could have addressed with high authority and major anger and shown the points of truth, instead he addresses the heart of despair with encouragement. He gives him some hope. He gives him a promise. Go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint. Like, you're not alone in this. We're going to put someone else in charge with. You shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Yes, he's anointing even a king from another country. And, uh, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. Done with Ahab. You're bringing in a new king, man. And forget Jezebel. She was the queen of the old king. That promise is done. You're anointing Jehu. And Elisha, the son of, here we go, Shepat of Abel Mahalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. It would have been cool if he played football and he had that on his jersey, wouldn't it? And uh, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And so Elisha and Jehu and Hazael, they're taken over. And uh, you've got some hope. It says, and the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Trust me, I will bring it through these men. And uh, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Remember, I, even I, only am left. Well, except for 7,000 people and three key leaders and God Almighty over it. And all of God's people said, and uh, I'm just telling you, man, despair is buying into lies. We do not have a God who loves us. That's what we believe. We're taking our path and it wrecks us as we listen only to ourselves and our feelings. When instead we have a God who deeply cares for us. All right. Steps to battling despair. Steps to battling despair. Number one, get rest. Get rest. Exhaustion does not go well with battling despair. Get rest. Number two, identify the pain. These are the feelings talk. It's okay to talk about what you're feeling, okay? It's good to know where you're at. Identify the pain. So get some rest. Identify the pain. Number three, identify the problem. This is where you begin to talk about what is actually wrong. And uh, just so you know, people in despair, and if you're one of them, we will tend to over-exaggerate the problem. I, even I, only am alone. Right? It's so unfair, woe is me. And uh, we will exaggerate it, but at least you're talking about the problem. Get to some source talk. Okay? Identify the pain, identify the problem. 
Now comes the big one. Identify God's promises. Identify God's promises. This is where every person in despair will resist. They will not want to go there. It doesn't feel right. You are making me see that it's not hopeless, but I feel it is. You are making me set down my feelings, and I don't want to set them down. And Identify God's promises with a soft, tender voice. Thin silence speaks to the heart of despair. Do not admonish the one in despair. You will crush their soul. A scolding and a yelling and a raising of voice will leave them devastated. The thin silence of tender love. Okay? Identify God's promises carefully, if you want to put it that way. And then the last one. Help them to take one prayerful step of trust. Take one prayerful step of trust. Not many. I'm just telling you, the worst thing you can say to a person in despair is, all right, here's a sheet. I've got 42 steps for you. This will only take you about six months. At the end of it, you will find that you are in better spirits. You've lost weight. What a great thing. You will be moving along a path only six short months, and you will be there. They have instantly checked out. They can't hear a word you're saying. Tears just start running down their eyes. Too many steps. One. One step for the person in despair. What is that key promise that addresses the key pain and the key problem so that I can take one single step and move out of this despair, one trusting step at a time? All right? Okay. Do me a favor. Turn your books to page 36. Thirty-six. See the pictures we got there, the unrestored and restored heart? So let's just move through these real quickly. Unrestored. When we have been affected by sin, when despair is eating us alive, unbelief is at the center of the heart. We doubt what God's saying. His word can't be trusted. There's, there's something wrong with his care, so unbelief. Doubt is what crops up. Remember doubt. Limping between two opinions. Doubt. Okay? Self-pity is what builds off of it. Woe is me. I just need to talk about my feelings in this and the hopelessness and unfairness of it. You may want to write next to self-pity. Hopelessness, unfairness. That's all that's really wanting to be talked about by the heart in despair. Hopelessness, unfairness. God doesn't love me. He is not caring. That's the heart of despair. Now let's go to the restored heart on the other side. Restored heart. Instead of unbelief at the center, we put faith at the center. We begin to try to trust him. We're going to lean into him a little bit here. This big moment is this. You ready? Hear me, those who are in despair. Hear me in this room now. This is one of your giant moments of leap. Is beginning to let go of the pity that you're trying to pull the yes it is terrible kind of statements and begin to grab onto a God who's going to begin to heal 
It is a single faith step, and that's it. God's going to do the rest, but you're going to need to lean on him, all right? Faith, believing in God. God's promises are what's at the center of it now, not my pity, but God's promises. God is loving. He does have this. There is hope. Hear me now. Everybody just do this for me. Think of the problem or circumstance you're in. Think of the heartache or the hurt, the devastation you might be feeling, the what you wish were different. Got it? All right. Now think of this. Your God is calling you to rest. In him, rest. Take a deep breath. Get some good sleep. Get a good meal rest your god is calling you to hear his thin silenced voice as he gently shares with you he loves you he's got point and purpose he's walking you through he's doing something in the midst of this circumstance that is so beyond what you could ever imagine or think ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 right he does exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. He's doing something amazing. And as you learn to let go and look up to him, he will rock your world. Your God calling you to trust as you now listen to him and hear for him for that one single step. Take the step with him. What's that promise look like that he's telling you? If you're like, I have no idea. Get to an impact group leader this week. Get to a friend. Get to a pastor. Get to a, a counselor. Spend a little bit of time on that. That needs to be camped out on. What is the promise God's calling me to go after here? And get it written down. And start reading it over and over. And praying and thanking God that it's true. And beginning to watch God work. All right? One step. Just trusting him for that moment. Okay? That said, now do me a favor, turn back to page 41. We all understand that if we diagnose the problem, that doesn't fix it, right? Everybody tell me, right. Right? We go into the doctor and he's like, well, you have a broken arm. Have a good day. And you're like, that was terrible. Right? Diagnosis does not fix the problem. Here's the fix for the heart of despair. Encounter, exalt, engage. You're going to hear those words over and over this, this next weeks. Okay? Encounter, exalt, engage. Encounter. In the word of God, find your God to be this. The Lord that is good. He heals the brokenhearted. He is Faithful, he is our shepherd who makes us to lie down in green pastures and rest with him. He is our great provider, our God who is with us. Pour into passages like these or these specifically. And don't become an expert of the words on the page. Become an expert of the God who is represented in those words. Get to know him. Talk with him. That's the next step. Exalt. Now you come to him and you pray and you hand it over. You long for him to be glorified. As you simply say, Lord, I'm devastated in this. 
And it looks to me like, but you promised this, so I'm counting on you now, Lord. I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm thanking you that you give me this promise. I'm thanking you that you're with me in this. I believe your God. Help me in my unbelief. Are you hearing me? You are worshiping. You are confessing. You are counting on him. Exalting him. As he begins to do a work. His glory pouring over you is what changes you from one degree to the next. Not you making it look like it changed. Right? Not you faking it, but his glory pouring over. And then the last one is engaged. That's when we finally step out. Some healing has occurred and we step into action. Lord, may I worship you. Not about you. You. Have a talk with him about your feelings. Then move to the problem. Then move to the promise. And hand it to your God. Okay? And God will begin to do a work in your heart like you wouldn't believe. And all of God's people said, despair. Hear me. This, maybe more than any of the others, can leave you lost and feeling alone. I, even I, only. Let's just go to prayer now. Let's just hand this time over to our God and let's hear from him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Let's just pray here. Heavenly Father, hear our cry, hear our prayer. Lord, we worship you and we celebrate you as the King of kings and Lord of lords, God Almighty. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of thunder and the God of lightning and the God of fire and the God of earthquake and the God of wind. You are the God of all creation. You speak and it is. We worship you as the King who has it all. Just thank him and worship him as the God over all. And yet, Lord, I'm devastated. Lord, I'm hurting. Hear my cry. Just bring it before him. Tell him what's hurting. He already knows. It's good conversation time as you're trusting in him, as you share with him. Lord, this hurts. And just share. breathing in the promise that you are with me you heal the brokenhearted. you have purpose in all you do you are going to make all things good for those that love you and are the called according to your purpose Lord I trust in that promise 
I lean on you, the creator of my soul, the God of my walk and my life. Thank him for his promise of healing and being with you. Now that one step. Lord, what do I need to do to follow you and trust you? Reveal to me. I'm ready to take one step out of despair. And I'm looking to you. Hand it to him. Father God, we thank you that you are with us always, that you reign forever, that our hope is in you, that you heal our broken hearts, that you have it all in hand. Lord, we come running to you now. Heal us in our darkest hour. May you be glorified as we fall on our face and cry out, Yahweh, he is Lord, and hand it to you. You are king over everything, and we love you, Lord. It's in your mighty name I pray these things, and all of God's people said, amen.